Please be seated and let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this day where we can once again cease from our work, gather together as your people to hear from your word what you would have for us, to gather at your table what you invite us to, to receive the nourishment of grace that you give us in Jesus, and to rest in the reality of your great mercy and love. I ask, Lord, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, move us, convict us of the reality of who you are, that we are a people that is sent for you. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. John Hammond was our 98-pound wrestler at W.T. Woodson High School, and he was the head student trainer. You know, we didn't have professional trainers in Virginia back when, you know, the Flintstones were riding around. In, and um, we called him Flea. That was a term of affection. It wasn't derogatory. Nobody got turned in for bullying by calling anybody Flea. We called him Flea Bag, all kinds of names. But he was a great guy, and he was super smart. He went to the Air Force Academy and flew jets. But when it came to be a trainer, he was a little lacking, to be honest with you, because, you know, they would call for water, and he was to assemble his team and bring out water to the athletes, and, and they'd be there playing cards. You know, water! Water! Oh, you're calling us? And then they would come out with water, whatever it might be. You know, it was just that kind of situation. Well, one day, our defensive coordinator, Coach Jerry Lowe, a kid got hurt. And he was calling for the trainer, and they're sitting in a circle, all the training staff, just playing cards. You know, this is a big football facility, and they're about half a mile away. And Coach Lowe, you could hear miles away, and he's going, trainer, trainer. And so then Flea kind of catches, goes, oh, oh, we got to go, guys. So he starts to come, and they're just walking. Now, a guy is in excruciating pain, <laughs> laying there. And all of a sudden, come out of Coach Lowe's mouth, today would be nice! <laughs> My friends, for the past couple weeks in Luke, there's been rather difficult passages for us to hear, haven't it? I mean, if, if you haven't been exhorted and challenged uh, in your walk with Christ through deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, and last week where he says, Drop your buts, drop your ifs, drop your whens, follow me now. It's real. You, 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 need, you need to wake up. Because these are challenging texts, and, the, and the, we have to watch trying to tame these texts. You don't want them to be what we want them to be. We want them to be God for who he is in our lives. And so that's where we are in Luke. And we will see this for the next five months because they're incredibly encouraging, but they're also incredibly challenging. So I invite you to turn with me in the Gospel of Luke because here we have another uh, wonderfully challenging text, but all shows us what a transformed life looks like on urgent mission. We're in this section of Luke that's changed, and verse 51 was the hinge verse of Luke. Everything preceding that was who is this Jesus building the kingdom of God and now he's set his face toward Jerusalem and that's what this is all about. He has come 
to secure our salvation, to prove himself by the resurrection, and he's currently seated at the right hand of the Father praying for you. No matter what you're going through, when you know Jesus Christ, he's interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. And that's a popular message for some. It's unpopular for others. It's always been that way. And so what Jesus does is in this text, after this, meaning after he's told his disciples the cost of the following him, he then turns and he calls out 72 people to go out on mission two by two. And what we learn this morning is the church, the Christian, the disciple, the follower of Jesus is called to an urgent mission, called to an urgent ministry out of an urgent motivation, okay? An urgent mission, an urgent ministry, and an urgent motivation. Let's look first at mission. We see here in verses 1 through 8, he's sending out the 72. Earlier in chapter 9, he sent out his disciples. And it's interesting, you know, you got this number of, of 72. And you might think when you're going out on mission that perhaps, you know, this is just what the clergy or the lay leaders, the head, the vestry do. These are the type of things that the leaders in the church does. Now, if Luke had stopped on chapter 9, you might be able to make that argument. But here, when Jesus chooses 72, you immediately ask, why 72? Well, if you read the Old Testament and what most people read it in back in the day, which was Greek, the Septuagint, in Genesis chapter 10, you have the table of nations. And in the Greek, the Greek word there is missio. And then they list all those nations. Guess how many nations are listed there in Genesis chapter 10? 72. Why is that important? Because from this time forward, from this time forward is Jesus' way of saying, it's not just the professionals. It's everyone who claims the name of Christ has a mission and a calling upon their life that only God can accomplish through you. And so when you put it this way, a disciple is someone who is called radically in to the relationship with Jesus Christ and therefore the Holy Spirit in filling them takes them out no matter where they're found. It's an intimacy that you have with Jesus to be healed, to be blessed, and the disciple is called radically in. And notice, totally dependent upon Jesus. He sends them out. He doesn't say, pack your bags. He says, carry nothing. Go. Go your way. That's the first point. Secondly, this ministry is urgent. Chapter 3, he says, go your way. That means now. <laughs> Go your way. And in verse 9, with this message, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. We know not only with this conversation, but all throughout chapter 9, we saw him do it with his apostles. There's three great things that are going on throughout Luke. Number one, when we go out on this mission that each and one of us are called to, the ministry is to preach the word, to heal the sick, and to cast out the demons. You could also say, 
persuade people of the truth of the gospel. You know, you could mend bodies and communities physically. And you could also liberate people's souls from that which enslaves them. You had that ministry, my friends. That's our calling as we go out. We have a ministry outside these walls and right here at Christ Church as well. That there are tasks here that only you can do. And we need help in so many ways. And you'll hear us talk a lot about that in the weeks and days to come. The various ministries that are in need of such assistance. But it's the whole package of a person who has this relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all of our lives. It's not, I check off the box on Sunday and then I go live. No, it's, it's who I am throughout seven days of the week. This past month as a community, we focused on slowed down spirituality. That we unplug, we get away from the screens, and we slow our lives down a little bit and spend some time with the Lord and with one another. And I hope that as you focused on that, if you focused on that, do so today. But just to slow down, take some things out of the schedule and put the Lord in, put family in, bless somebody. Whatever that slowed down looks like for you, but it's centered out of the life of word and prayer. But now we're focusing on going in through July of a life of integrity, that we're the same people on Sunday that we are throughout the week. And so therefore, my friends, he says, go your way. It's today. And we go with a message of persuasion, a message of mending, and a message of liberation. Last, we see a, an urgent motivation that flows from this mission and ministry. Our motivation, you might think, is it doesn't earn our salvation. We know that much. But yet that's how often people treat it. They come back and they say, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. It was absolutely amazing. And notice what Jesus says. Uh, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Because that phrase, names written in heaven, is, is what ancient people thought. They thought that when you died and you had your judgment day, that the book would be opened up before your God, and hopefully your name would be in it. And if you had enough good deeds, your name would be there, which is works righteousness, right? The gospel is not that. The gospel from Jesus is rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. It's there. It's present tense. And so he's responding to this because he knows our tendency is to rejoice in our ambitions, rejoice in our accomplishments, rejoice in anything in our giftings that we do. And he wants to make sure that we keep our priorities and our rejoicing rightly centered. In other words, that our motivation is correct. Rejoice not that you have this power. Rejoice not in your gifts. Rejoice not in your performance. I have a better way. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. To put it in 21st century, rejoice not in your accomplishments or your lifestyle or your provisions. 
your families, your kids, your business, your looks. No. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. So what Jesus is saying to these 72 as they come back, folks, you got your mission down. Good job. You got your ministry down. Good job. But don't rejoice in the accomplishment alone. Rejoice that you are loved. You're loved with an everlasting love. You're loved with a love that will continue on forever because of what I've done for you on the cross. It's true. And when you're in the dark times and when the, the wonderful times, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus Christ says, the gospel is your name is already written. How can that be? I'm not dead yet. I thought, you know, no, it's there. It's like you're going into the restaurant, pick your favorite classiest restaurant in Cleveland. Think of it this way. Yeah, I, I don't go to a lot of classy f- restaurants, but, if, but just, just imagine you did, okay? I walked into the most fancy restaurant, high in the, one of our tall buildings overlooking the city. And, you know, and you're not used to going into those classy restaurants, so you walk in a little timid. And the maitre d' is this 70-year-old dude. You know, he's got his glasses on, and he <laughs> peers down at you and says, Can I help you? And you say, Yes, I, I, I think I have a reservation. And he looks at his list and goes, Why, yes, you do. Come, let me show you to your table. My friends, in Jesus Christ, you have a reservation. It's there. Stop trying to earn it. Get involved in growth and following Jesus with us. Because Jesus is saying, I've done it. In Jesus Christ, you have a seat at his table And every one of us will have a seat at his banquet table one day. So my friends, today would be nice. Let's follow Jesus together. Let's pray. Lord, what good news it is that you have secured it for us and you've given every single one of us a purpose in your kingdom. You've given us a mission to go a ministry using our giftedness. No matter where we live, we work in a play and a ministry right here in the body of Christ at Christ Church. And you've given us all that we need to follow you because our names are already written there because we have trusted in you. And if there be anyone here who has yet to fully understand that, I pray that today would be that day where we would rest in your work upon the cross for them for me. And Lord Jesus, you be glorified in each and every one of us as we seek to follow you with great urgency because it's true. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.